Hello there and welcome to episode 89 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. Today I'm really looking forward and excited to bring you Magdalena Beckmeyer, who is founder of Making Time Count, um, inventor of the grid and also an author. And what I really, really enjoyed about this conversation, just to share a few of the insights in advance, is that she's a productivity expert, a neuroscientist. And I just love the way that she blends science, spirituality, um, a neuroscience it's just such a fascinating mix um, a couple of the insights I took away just to share with you in advance were when uh, Magdalena spoke about that the potentiality of every person is like a plant you are a seed and you can become a beautiful palm but if I put you into a place where palm just will not grow well you're going to be a crappy palm and I think that's just really interesting because I spend, I spend a lot of time thinking about this inside out nature. You know, we are what we think in many ways, but we cannot ignore the environmental impact. Um, you know, a toxic environment, for example, that may have on us no matter how high in the quality of mind is that we may have. So I'd really love, I'd love to know what you're thinking as a reflect on that point around the sort of internal versus external influences. Um, and this is linked also, Magdalena spoke to the fact that when we are seen, when we are connected, that generates a slowing of the heart rate. It generates a different neuromuscular junction. So actually being seen and feeling connected actually slows our heart rate. Just think about that for a second. And then finally, what I want to leave you with is before you get into the full conversation, is Magdalena shared that we don't value preventative tools yet. It takes very enlightened people to be doing that that and saying hey I could be doing this before a problem arises and I speak about this a lot in my workplace and also across my network where and consultants what's the common language what's the problem that needs solving however I like to think about this more as what's the opportunity to be realized or how much better could we be collectively and individually if we tackled a certain challenge a certain way with an open and growth mindset so I'd love to know what you're thinking there around the preventative versus uh, needing to fix something. So anyway, I'll be quiet for now. There's a few of the upfront reflections to get your juices flowing. Uh, and here it is, my conversation with Magdalena Backmeyer. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I have an awesome guest who is on that very mission in the name of Magdalena Backmeyer, who is a neuroscientist, doctor, should I say. Backmeyer is probably the correct pronunciation. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. <laughs> also author um, and also creator of The Grid, which we'd love to learn more about today. So maybe you'd like to expand on that introduction for our listeners today, Magdalena. Thank you, Gary, for having me. It's uh, lovely to be with you on this podcast about uh, vulnerability and the human, human, uh, which is something that, uh, you know, sits very close to my heart, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, trained as a neuroscientist uh, and I've applied my neuroscience background to inventing tools and looking at how we can help more human humans around the world uh, do better and, and do better in terms of productivity. So I am known as a productivity expert and have done a lot in the productivity space and still do, uh, but really branching out into looking at productivity more holistically in how we really get um, brilliance and flow out of more people 
And with the grid, I've discovered that actually when we do apply neuroscience-based principles and thinking and how the brain and body work together, we get far better results. Okay, some very small topics to explore today, Magdalena, which I'm excited <laughs> about. That, that's amazing. Let's, co let, let's come back to the grid shortly. What I'm really interested yeah. in is where, what's the origin for you and that passion that you have for really unleashing people, you know, human potential? Where does that come from? Is that from an early age? Is it something later in your life? How did that come about for you? Uh, um, hmm. I think, you know, I people say where 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 do you draw from and i would say i draw from being um in difficulty uh being an outcast uh and hurting mm -hmm. uh and so i come at it from a really human deeply human uh dimension of that you know i um um, have been an immigrant so that has put me on the outcast uh, to begin with uh, from Poland to the States um, as a small kid and um, you know and and I've always enjoyed uh, mentoring uh, others I have uh, I think uh, you know quite a few awards as a youngster for mentoring other people especially in mathematics and um, and that has kind of stayed with me and the idea of uh, the underdog the ordinary the everyday person who has brilliance is something that really sits close to my heart and, and with it that diversity and inclusion piece about, you know, there is there's something special in, in most of us, but not every one of us gets the privilege to make that work. And many people for one reason or another can become quite broken and disenchanted with all of that. And, and I think I've used my gifts um, in service of trying to help more people heal and, and do well. Um, and that includes people, you know, from very privileged areas, but also people who uh, might be the proverbial underdog. I, lo I love that. And it, it, it resonates so much with me. You know, we had a short conversation earlier about as we get to know each other on this human experience that we all have, you know, I actually was bullied myself psychologically and physically age 12, 13. And I start part of the fuel for this podcast is actually that platform to say, look, it's okay for that one person that's listening to you and I now to lean back into their own story, whatever that may look like for them, process mm. it and not let it own them so they can come through it. And I, exactly as you've done with your own life journey, I just love seeing you and the energy that you bring, Madalena, through those adversity stories. You know, it seems like it's a fuel almost. It, it is. I think, you know, we, we draw from those experiences because I think, we, we all as human beings don't, if, if we have enough compassion in us, we, we don't show up to the world going, oh, I hope that experience is repeated to you too. We, we come at it going, well, that wasn't terribly nice. What can I do to help other people avoid it? Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I've been gifted with some gifts of building tools, seeing things in a systemic larger way. So it, it's something that I can do with my skill set and I enjoy doing it. I'm really intrigued to explore as we sort of, we'll come up to modern day um, shortly, but I, you've got such a strong educational background. You know, you're continually learning, you know, your, your array of courses you've completed, Magdalena, are incredible. And I'm just really <laughs> interested. You know, your work history is quite um, educational focused as well. Yeah. Does that link to your sort of evolution as well? Is education very important to you? Uh, yes, I think, you know, learning curiosity is important. I, I have uh, in my career path when I uh, used to give career seminars, sort of, you know, panels, 
I used to say that if I look back, the one thing that has always driven me was curiosity. I, I was simply curious. And it's funny, you, you posted that on, on that little LinkedIn uh, uh, card we made for my friend's daughter. Um, but uh, I, I was curious. And, uh, and I think I had good mentors who fostered that curiosity and encouraged my curiosity uh, very much. And so I followed that as opposed to convention. And that really meant even rebelling against the wishes of my parents and what they wanted from my career. Um, but kind of finding that, you know, when, when you're curious about something, you're living on the edge of that. So you're pioneering some area that you're curious about and the way you're going to look at it is purely the way you and only you can look at it. And, and that's useful. And I think that's, you know, that's been exciting for me, but also super, super challenging. <laughs> oh, do you mind speaking about that a bit more? Where, where's the challenge come from out of interest? Um, well, I think the challenge comes from, you know, if you're, if you're on the edge of things, so whether, you know, when I was a scientist, I, I was pioneering something new, building the first microscope to look at something, uh, it, it was new when, and there was no one really to say to you, go and do it like this. You had to just go and figure it out. Um, I think, you know, when I came across my first productivity model and I mean, you know, I, I was teaching senior astronauts from NASA out of my kitchen, something they felt was valuable to them. And I thought the only reason why I was able to put it together is because I looked at it differently to existing ways of being. You know, when I work with people one-to-one, -one, I, I come to a therapeutic coaching, you know, profession completely tangentially. Like I, I come as a neuroscientist, I come with a systemic view, I, I look at things extremely differently. And, and sometimes, you know, that is a challenge because you come to existing domains of knowledge as a newcomer. So you're always a bit of an outsider. Um, and, and also sometimes people can be quite envious of that because what you can do is often what other people feel they cannot do because they're locked into, you know, existing domains of knowledge often move quite slowly because there has to be a consensus and so on. And when you're moving um, sort of in and out of things, you're able to kind of look and apply knowledge from different fields to really make leaps. And that's really exciting. Uh, from a pioneering point of view, but you know, I don't do it for my ego. I, I really do it because I fundamentally probably am an engineer at heart and I just like seeing things that work. I don't, I'm not really that particularly fussed, you know, how it works or why it works um, so much. Uh, otherwise I'd still be an academic working it all out, you know, but I'm, I'm more going, more going, 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 do it, it works. And, and so let's do more, um, you know, and, and sharing that out. So, but, but there is that, I think, challenge. And it's a continuous challenge because you're constantly needing to read up on things and, you know, find out. And there's only so many hours in the day. So, yeah, it's tough and exciting. <laughs> and that's exactly how it should be. <clears throat> you know, if I look at my, my experience of work and sort of my own growth development journey in the last few years, Mm. I think one of the biggest shifts and that curiosity piece is so important is that I see so many people that are stuck in their current role, unfortunately as a victim, believing they don't have a choice in that they, that they can't challenge the status quo or that they don't have the courage to speak up because they can see that something's not working. 
is, is can you speak to that a little bit? Do you, A, do you see that within some of the organisations you work with? And B, what's the neuroscience perspective to that fear that maybe some people are sitting with? I, I will, okay, maybe I'll take your question in, in three ways. One is I will tell you that I have been effectively more or less pushed out, if not sacked out of places where I did speak up. Um, speaking up is tough. People are not interested necessarily in what is good because if it doesn't fit their existing framework of how they see the world, they find it threatening. Um, that's where the neuroscience piece comes in. Uh, you know, we, we all go around the world with a certain story. Uh, you know, I, I had a certain story and, you know, just yesterday about my partner and we had a fight. And, uh, you know, and, and I realized this morning waking up, what a bad story I had and how it didn't serve me and it didn't serve us and, and how I had to apologize and say, that's a bad story. You know, that's not a story that serves us. But uh, that, cre that necessitates a, a huge degree of self-awareness um, and reflection. And I think that in a busy world, many people just don't have that. So I, I view that with quite a, a large degree of compassion uh, because I, I really think people are pushed. I don't think people mean to be mean or people don't mean to listen. Um, you know, there are many times when I've come into organizations and I'll sit around a dinner table with, you know, talented people and they all say, how come they listen to you, but they won't listen to me. And I said the same thing. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, we, we all, we can't help it, but we all give authority to certain things and not others. And, you know, even as a coach, I've helped many people who were unheard in their own organization move employer and become super heard and <laughs> accelerate and, and fly. So uh, my, my basis in a way um, has always been that if the environment in which you are does not serve you, you should move to a different environment. Uh, because you know the potentiality of every person is like a plant you know you you are a seed and you can be a beautiful palm but if I put you into a place where a palm will just not grow well you're going to be a crappy palm and that's your potential so you know you ought to go where the palm can blossom and become you know the most beautiful palm in the world and and I think that we all have to find our place and, you know, I'm, I'm learning more from Eastern more philosophical traditions that that's our journey. That's a challenge. And, and because the world constantly changes, it's kind of a, a beautifully equal challenge for every human being. Because in order to find our place, we all have to do the journey. It's not like, you know, it's not like some people have it easier or harder. It's like we all have to go and do that. And, and because the world changes, it means our place and it constantly changes too. And so it's kind of nice, actually, and miraculous. It's really beautiful how you've, you've spoke to that. It, it's really funny. I, I wrote um, a blog actually a few months ago um, called We Are Change. Because something that I'm waking up to more and more is actually the more we try and believe that change is something that's outside of us that needs to be inverted commas managed. I think for me, that's where a lot of stress comes from. Whereas if we just look inside ourselves and go, actually, how am I showing up in the moment in this situation? That's pretty mm. much the only thing we've got. Um, I feel, but I know it's bigger than that. I know we can't sit around thinking like that every day, but I just think if we're able just to realize that we are changed that every second, something else is going on. I just think it makes it a bit more exciting. It, it does, but you know, it certainly does. I, I think when I work one-to-one -one with people and they are 
facing change that, that it there's a degree of discomfort you know because we like things on our terms mm-hmm. uh you know and if the, if it doesn't come on our terms then it's a change that we might feel unprepared for or unready for you know and um and that creates a kind of ah crap moment <laughs> what do i do with that <laughs> when i'm already stressed or busy or or whatever so you know i i think again compassionately uh, I, I'm reminded of the story of, of Buddha. They said, uh, you know, it's a story about a mom who comes and asks Buddha, you know, my, my child is eating sugar. And the Buddha says, come back to me for an answer in seven days when I stop eating sugar. Uh, and, and, you know, there's something about this bit that even if we're the best, uh, we will also struggle. And, and that understanding that what's in me is in you and it is kind of, helps us uh, help other people cope with things and that's really important yeah that's lovely and and i just love how already in our conversation you've mentioned compassion a number of times and i just think that's such a powerful word and would you mind speaking to that a, a bit more in terms of in terms of like the neuroscience peaks i'm feeling really selfish now like i'm going to keep coming back to your amazing <laughs> background because i don't get to talk to many neuroscientists so <laughs> In terms of compassion, why is why is that such an important part of our human you know, our human sort of existence, our human traits? Um, okay, well, if you if you think about it, you know, uh, we, we know from neuroscience that in order for us to be fully functional and um, creative and utilize our emotional intelligence, our cognitive intelligence we have to feel safe and we have to connect to carers. Okay. So that level of, and it's a visible thing that, you know, kids and and all animals uh, pick up early on from those around them in order to develop well. And we know from, uh, you know, animals and in isolation and also from, you know, experiments in humans uh, where if you don't have that early on, uh, your brain just does not form in the same way and you are limping. So, you know, we, we, without that safety, uh, neurons just don't connect in the right way. There's the shortages, um, less is possible. Some of those things can be overcome later on, but, um, to some extent, the brain comes also with something called the critical window of development which is actually what got me into neuroscience in the first place. Uh, I, you know, watched these, uh, read about these experiments in cats um, where you would occlude one eye and then the cat would never see or recognize vertical things and would bump into them. And, uh, you know, this work was amazing because it showed that in, in a very short window of development, you have a time where the brain needs experience in order to wire up correctly. It comes prepared you know, but it needs you to plug everything in and then have the real experience for it to go, I like this, I don't like this, I see this as black, I see this as white, I, you know, and so on. And, um, you know, that's really key. So the compassionate piece in there is that when we are seen, when we're connected, when that limbic resonance happens, where I really see you and I connect with you, um, that generates... Um, slowing of the you know heart rate 
uh, it generates, um, you know, a different uh, neuromuscular junction. It generates relaxation of the body in which the nervous system can work better. <laughs> it's just that simple. It really is. And, you know, a lot of work into helping people not be so stressed and so wired up and, and constantly in this very vigilant, defensive, aggressive, angry mode is about helping them manage, learn how to manage their neurobiology. Wow, it's, it's, it's really, I'm so floored by how you just described, not because it's surprising me, but one of my core values I've clarified recently is, is connection. And, mm. I've, and it's really interesting that it matters so much to me that I almost put it in a box um, some months ago. So like, actually, that can't be a value, that's just a thing you do. But when I've realized, you look across you know, how you behave, your belief systems, you realize just how important these values are you know, for your being, for how you operate. And like connection's one of mine. And then just hearing you is just really like reinforce that, which is really fascinating. Good. <laughs> we, we need more connectors. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's Gen amazing. Genuine, genuine connection. Um, you know, I, I, um, I have found that in my first productivity model, um, connection through heart-to-heart -heart connection and real genuine authentic presence with others um, save time and created far better problem solving and uh, and it's what people tend to avoid and um, you know even if someone's negotiating a deal or uh, fighting over something in conflict they're they're doing things by email where there's clearly no connection <laughs> so you know a lot of things can go wrong in life because we are too afraid to be vulnerable and be in the space of unpredictability of another human being. And we come unpredictable, like you and I today, we're having this conversation and it's unpredictable and that can be very scary. And uh, you probably know very well, many people would not want to do that. And then there's some people who would go, hey, why not? You know, what's the worst that can happen? I can just turn out to stutter and be a fool and, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful and it's, 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 you mentioned the word it's, it's, it's in this podcast so I'd love to actually get your version both but, you know, personally but also maybe from your, your work as well what does vulnerability mean to you personally if you were going to describe to somebody else that maybe is new to the term or sort of like that's got to be a negative term you know, what's, your, what's your take on vulnerability how's it helpful and how's it a challenge um, okay, so that's three questions in one. Uh, what is it? <laughs> What's my take and why it's challenging? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right, no, hold on. Let's, let's do it one by one. So uh, should we start with what do I think it is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to speak from my own experience. And, and I think to be vulnerable means to um, put, to, to be willing and trusting that you can speak your truth. You can speak the truth of your experience, uh, which, you know, in my framework would mean, this is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm really truly feeling. This is what's happening in my body. And this is how this all impacts me. And so you take really huge level of personal responsibility um, for where you are. And if you do that, I think it's a, it's a, a very responsible way of being in the world because 
um, you know, you're taking full agency for, for that. And then based on that, you can give others um, appropriate feedback about what that means for everything else. Thank you. Beautiful. So re really interesting, actually, that accountability piece within vulnerability. That's, that's a nice reflection. Yeah. yeah. Very daring, very scary. <laughs> you know, I think like that, oh, everything that Brené Brown wrote is true. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Or you could say, you know, it's the proverbial heart on your sleeve uh, type of uh, way of being where, where you're not afraid to, to really say what is true for you. Yeah. yeah that's beautiful and i also appreciate the live it's me being vulnerable twice on this conversation i've fired three questions at you at once and that's a really really hey. unhelpful thing to do <laughs> so i'm learning in the moment live for everybody as we go through this conversation so it's it's just it just shows you how passionate you're getting me about this discussion <laughs> it, it's wonderful and i'm trying to be a good interviewer and i and i sort of don't want to let your listeners down and sort of go oh she didn't answer the really thing that i wanted to know so <laughs> so, so thank thank no but thank you genuinely because it's a it's a very helpful thing to be thinking about so my my energy flow can lead me to fire far too many questions at once on occasion so that's oh, great so coming back to your work and around the grid, maybe you can speak a little bit about that work. Um, so what are you working on and how can the, the grid work that you've developed serve people? Um, well, I think in a nutshell, um, you know, about 10 years ago, when the conversation about work-life balance began in the workplace, I, you know, maybe because of the way I look at things, I began to look at what are the roots of that conversation? Where, where does that stem from? And uh, people were still doing the important, urgent, not important, not urgent matrices to kind of get through all of that and, you know, fit their life, fit their work. And I began to notice something totally different. I, I started to see that in the workplace, myself included at the time, um, people were unhappy about work, not because there was too much of it, but because there was a, a section of it, you know, which, which we could say is like self-actualizing, moving on, moving forward, learning, all those wonderful things that were not happening. So I began to notice that you can be definitely working hard, but you could be working hard, but not seeing yourself be better for it. And that became a very important observation. And similarly, you know, in my work with people on, on lives, creating better lives, the same was true in the life domain. Um, that people were giving a lot, you know, doing a lot, organizing their gardens, organizing their 50th birthdays and holidays. And, you know, life is a lot of projects and activities. Um, and at the same time, the self-caring piece of how one restores one's energy was just neglected. And so I, you know, came along one day and thought, well, okay, we have work and life. And actually, why don't we divide this into you know, work and career and life and self-care. And I created a two-by-two two matrix and, uh, and said that pretty much everything in life will fit into one of those four quadrants for you. However, if you neglect any one of them, what I've shown in a lot of my lectures and work is that you ultimately will end up in the worst place possible, which is isolation for each one of those quadrants and isolation is the hugest, you know, biggest punishment our nervous system can possibly endure. So it, it, 
it, it, you know, and I've gone back to earlier work now from other people on burnout and other things, and, and I can really now see um, how we take those steps uh, towards those bad, dark places, but I build the grid and a methodology around the grid around why the neuroscience elements of it work because I wanted to give people a preventive tool. I, I'm not a fan of, you know, recovery of burnout where I've been, uh, you know, or really bad things. I kind of think a smart person or an engineering approach is you look at something that's bad and you learn how to avoid it in the first place. It's how we build roads and create safety. You know, we don't look for things to crash continuously so we can all be smarter for it. And I think that's a responsible way to do things, but it's not been easy to take it out to the world because it's a preventive tool and we don't value preventive tools yet. It takes very enlightened uh, people to, to be going, hey, I could be doing this before I have a problem. Um, we're used to looking at the world of, I have a problem, therefore I go look for a solution. So, you know, fair enough. I mean, we're, we're starting with people who are burned out and who need um, different tools and we're starting there but I'd, I'd love to see it be prevented that's that's such a powerful comment that's so many things coming up for me Magdalena one in particular is if I look at even my own work organization and a lot of other ones I speak to is I think the model is still quite a challenge for us in that my organization for example highly profitable very mm -hmm. very profitable but because the business model is very strong I use the analogy of a leaky bucket so we're putting an awful lot of resource and energy and money into the top. And that's great. And it's making profit. Mm. But there's all of these, what I call opportunity costs. So wasted energy, ineffectiveness, burnout, stress. But we don't seem to focus as much on the leak, the, the stuff that's coming out the bottom, as mm. long as there's enough going in the top. Yes, 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 and, yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I start a lot of my talks and, and I don't know, maybe it's what I pay attention to, but TFL, you know, Underground in London does some really amazing posters and they've always done. And I remember, you know, there, there was one, you know, a number of years ago that said, my daddy didn't look at my homework today because his boss yelled at him. And it really resonated for me because, you know, maybe because of my upbringing and having, you know, parents who worked very hard as immigrants and weren't necessarily around for me. And, and that kind of sense that, you know, as human beings, we, we are so many things, you know, if I'm not in a good place, I can't help my elderly neighbor. If I'm not in a good place, I, I am not going to be compassionate. If I'm not in a good place, I'm not going to even be creative and do something effectively and quickly the way I will be when I flow. So, you know, to, to not be smart enough to, to put that um, science to work for us um, seems to be a missed opportunity. Mm. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I, 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 please fill in any blanks for me but I'm really enjoying hearing your your insights on this conversation during this conversation because on the one side we've got this loneliness risk if any one of those four elements of your grid are missing but the antidote to that I'm sensing is this connection you know you've got you know if we can ensure we are connected I believe we've got a chance of plugging those four elements of the grid far better than if we're feeling ostracized or we're in our heads or we're afraid Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, I, I, we run uh, retreats on, on kind of two models. Um, one is that in, in every single thing we ever do, we have to be connected inside. 
you know, as you, as you are alluding to it so beautifully, if I'm not connected inside, if I'm, if I'm not in a good place internally, I have less to offer. I come wounded or I come disconnected. I, I come, you know, through some blinkered way of viewing things or et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, can the world also disconnect me inside? Absolutely. Can a, a you know, a stressed out, uh, over, you know, boss or a, a, a bad neighbor who, you know, wants to <laughs> seek conflict, mess things up? Yes. Um, so there's a, there's a piece of work for all of us to do, which is internal work. And that's what I call internal integration. Uh, but there's also an external bit. And the grid helps us to do that externally, because if you are working on your life, if you're working on your practices of how you look after yourself and maintain yourself well, if you're working on how to deliver a good job and be a good team worker, uh, sort of a bit more of an Eastern kind of way of looking at things as opposed to that egocentric, how can I, 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 um, you know, and, and a way in which you can find your place within all of that through your career, through your footprint or your, your, your own journey that satisfies you, then you flow. You just, you know, you become such an amazing uh, potentiality and, and all will be well. And, and what's nice about, I think, that is that the framework is so general, it extends itself and adapts itself to every person and every type of job. That's really lovely. What, what, what I'm sensing is, it's really nice. It sounds a very facilitative tool rather than something that you have to aim to hit. Therefore, you will be okay once you've hit all of that. It's more, yep. here's, your, here's your tool to balance Exactly. I, I do, you know, I compare it more to like the Tony Bozan mind mapping. It's not, you know, it, it, it is a, a pro, it's a framework mm -hmm. that if you use it well, it will serve you however your life takes you, whichever way, whatever the balance will be and so on. But it is simply that. Um, but, you know, it is a tool and you have to learn how to use it and you have to experiment with it and have a go. So, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. This is this, this is this moment where I go, right, how long have I got of Magdalena's time? Have I got three days, maybe? <laughs> um, I, I'd like to touch on your TED talk, your, the second one you did around um, kindness. Oh, yes. I just found that so, so powerful. And so much of it resonated with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But one of the things I loved is how you spoke about the gift of kindness, care and connection. Hmm. Do you mind speaking to that a bit more? I love the fact you use the word gift, and I just love to know what, what, why, why are those deeply human elements a gift? Um, I think that when we are on the receiving end of kindness, uh, you know, which I, I can, it, it, you know, it's, there's that quote about, you know, people never forget how you made them feel. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a very somatic, um, it, it's, it's deeply touching when people show you kindness and care. Uh, you know, I, I, when I, I, when I watch it as a, a witness of it, when I'm at the receiving end or giving end, I, you can always see it. It's a, it's, that's why I call it a gift. It's a beautiful thing. Um, the logical equivalent of that solutions, things, they don't have the same resonance and the same memory. So it, it is, and it's, so it's a gift and it's a grace to be in it. Uh, you know, so it has an extremely deeply spiritual quality to that experience of, of us as humans. But I don't think it's only human because when you watch animals take care of each other, 
um, there's a gift of that everywhere. And I think nature does it beautifully all around. And we have loads of examples of it. I think we're, for whatever reason in the human world have somehow just forgotten about it a little bit, or, you know, we're just striving for our own survival, but we forget that our own survival depends on all of us also. Yeah. So. That's, that's stunning. And it's, it's something I get reminded of by people in my network that, you know, this conversation is about being more human, but you're right. It is that interconnected, regenerative, you know, one, you know, there's a oneness around everything and all of us that, yeah. that we do. Yeah. That we do forget about sometimes. That's beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, I, I notice, uh, and also in, in myself and, and through different career paths and, and moments in time that, uh, you know, the world on the outside tends to put those pedestals and tends to reward certain things. And so, you know, we, we compete uh, for what we believe are limited resources. But when we really sit in our spirituality, we realize that the resources are not that limited. And that, yes, perhaps pursuit of them to the degree that we want, which we would all label as just greediness, you know, just like someone says, you know, do we really need billionaires? <laughs> Can we just all have, be happy with millionaires? <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, it's, uh, it, it really is an outlier uh, that dictates experience and, and can ruin experience for the majority. And, and I think it depends on where you sit in terms of what that means. But um, I think it's a foolish illusion. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I watched, I listened to a Deepak Chopra um, mm. uh, podcast with, I can't remember the late, the Iranian, um, the first Iranian female um, astronaut. And oh, yeah. one of the most beautiful reflections, and I remember it so clearly, she said, when you're out on the um, space station looking back at Earth, there, no, there are no borders, there are no boundaries. And when we, if we think of what you just described so beautifully, there is abundance. There is everything we could ever want if we come at it from a, a place of abundance and not actually we have to own X or I need to monopolize Y. And I just think that... Mm. Just imagine looking back at Earth without those boundaries, and it always resonates. Yeah, and it's beautiful, you know, neuroscientifically as well, because uh, you know we we tend to classify things and uh, and normalize things and sort things and put them into labels and boxes to move them around in our brains. But uh, there is a kind of totality to that. Uh, that creates the creativity and the insight when you make those links between things that, that don't naturally add up and you create something new and amazing because you've taken two things that didn't even sit in the same universe <laughs> of classification and you, you've smacked them together and you've created something amazing. So, um, yeah. Fascinating. Well, as we look to wrap up, Magdalena, I'd love to ask you and as anyone knows with this podcast, it's a pretty free-flowing conversation. So who or what is inspiring you at the moment? It could be anything, anybody, or anything. I'm just intrigued. What, what really inspires you at the moment? Do you know what inspires me? And, I, and I, maybe it's where I'm heading, but what inspires me are um, older people. And by older people, I mean really older people in their 90s who are... Um, looking who are not doing what I have seen my grandparents do 
let's say like sitting on a fence and going, I'm retired and I'm going to kind of come out of life uh, in that kind of way. And I'm just going to go and garden or whatever. Um, but people who are really kind of um, showing the rest of the world that you can think flexibly, you can run, you can be fit, you can do things and, and really almost like taking life by the balls at any age. <laughs> and I think I love that because, um, you know, from a diversity perspective, I think I often see that we focus on the young and we should. But, you know, I, I sometimes wonder why do we have writer in residence programs for development of teenagers and maybe people up to 24? What about the 55 year old who, you know, is at a time when they can write the best theater plays? And why do we? Sort of, sort of segment society by age, um, and and I think there's a lot of that in the workplace as well. That you know we sort of go, oh, an older person is just less capable, or they're less of a learner, and and it's just so arbitrary. You can take a 21 year old who doesn't have the willingness to learn much and wants to be lazy for a few more years, um, and you can take someone who's much older who who thrives on learning and finding out things and so on, and so kind of looking beyond the labels um, and those sort of ways of segmenting people um, is what inspires me. Yeah. Well, and I love that that is the first time in 84 episodes that anything even like that has been an inspiration. So I love that. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's, but it's wonderful because you're right. You know, you know, I, Unfortunately, let's call it out. There is still way too much ageism in the workplace. People may not call it that, but it is. It is the truth. You know, I see. I see it pretty much weekly, um, yeah. and, it's, and, it, and it's not conscious. It's a very unconscious. Oh, well, they they only want to do this, or they only want to do that. Assumption, rather than asking them what they want to do. <laughs> it's like exactly, exactly. And 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 by this, I really don't mean. You know, when I'm in a kind of more corporate space where I see people going, I have to put on this kind of dress code and I have to wear the funky sneakers to feel like I fit in and the millennials get me. I, I don't mean that surface level bit, but no. you know, it's, it's seeing someone in Battersea Park who's, you know, rollerblading and digging it and you're looking at them and you go, dude, you're like, you're past 70, right? And, and, uh, and, he, you know, and they're just going, yeah, because I love it. And, and, and that's creating a world where more people can do what they love and, and, and have that full expression, I think will be a, a really, it's a, it's a, it's a vision I, I'm happy to put effort into. Wonderful. So what's next for Magdalena? What's coming up on your agenda? Where can people maybe see you, find you, engage uh, with you? Uh, well, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, off, I'm, I'm, <laughs> off to, I'm off to Brazil uh, to give a keynote um, to the, uh, at the inception, uh, which is uh, super exciting for me because I'm going to be in Floripolis. Uh, Floripa, uh, the Silicon Valley of Latin America. So, uh, for for anyone who's kind of in that part of the world, um, it's a it's a great conference to go and and check out. And uh, I'm doing a, a seminar for Coaching at Work, which is um, you know a very large magazine and professional um, place for for coaches and therapists um, around the grid. Uh, and we're developing our grid retreats and um, putting together our events, which are going to travel um, around to other countries as well. So there's a lot to be excited about. And we've launched our uh, grid three months uh, diary training uh, so people can get our um, diary and really get into the habit of doing 
work and life in a, in a much more different way. But we're developing that. So um, it's uh, exciting times and um, there's a lot to do. <laughs> Fantastic. Very yeah. exciting. Um, oh, yeah. And I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. I have to tell you this. I have to tell you this. And my latest book on mind and body connection, um, how people can resolve in a conflict by listening to their body will come out in December. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. minor topic minor topic few few, few things that are in a, in a pipeline uh so to speak so yeah so it's exciting wonderful well i'm looking forward to that i think the time is right for exactly that type of book yeah the consciousness level is ripe i feel yeah. yeah i hope so i hope so and again you know I, I just know that people who will apply it will go it works and there will be people who'll go but where's the all the all the science and research experiments to show us it works and i'll go you just sit with that <laughs> and wait for it <laughs> yeah love it well thank you so much for joining me today how can people find you what's the best medium with which to connect with you um people can always connect with me on linkedin uh and also of course uh come to our website uh, at uh, www.maketimecount.com. So we're interested in helping people make time count. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. So really appreciate your time, Magdalena. Thank you day. very much. You've been such a wonderful host and it's been delightful to talk about all these things with you. Thanks. Take care. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. Hi there, just your podcast host Gary Turner here, wrapping up this awesome conversation with Magdalena. I really hope that you've got uh, your scribbles, your four or five main takeaways at least written down. Um, a few of my other reflections I'd like to share with you um, as we wrap up this, this, this wonderful conversation is that Magdalena spoke about the fact that a lot of things can go wrong in life because we are too afraid to be vulnerable and be in a space of unpredictability of another human being. However, we come unpredictable. And I think that's a, just the really paradox of our time when we think about technology um, and how, you know, this whole VUCA world that everybody's talking about. But, you know, we are change. We are volatility. You know, every second of every day is, it has the propensity to change significantly. So how we move away from the desire for certainty that we've been built with the financial models and the short-termism of the markets is a really interesting thing for all of us to ponder, particularly as we increasingly need to connect, I would assert, on a deeply human level to na navigate the pace of change we now exist within. Also, I loved how Mag Magdalena spoke about that a heart-to-heart -heart connection in real, genuine, authentic presence with others saved time and created far better problem solving. It's come out of her research and with her understanding from both a neuroscience, spirituality and productivity point of view. So just connecting on a deeply human level, heart-to-heart, leads to better problem solving you know so why aren't we doing more of this you know what's getting in the way what are people afraid of connecting on a deeper heart to heart level i'd love to hear from you if you've got experience of positively connecting on a heart to heart level or indeed if you've got challenges trying to do so i'd really love to hear from you please 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 uh, share your thoughts and feelings and uh, finally i'd like to speak to the fact that for the first time in these in, the, in 89 episodes of this podcast when I asked Magdalena what inspires her, she said older people. She says, as in really older people, those that are in her 90s, who are not doing what I've seen my grandparents do. 
And I think that's just such an inspiring reflection for all of us, you know, as everybody does move towards this 100-year life that everyone speaks about, um, you know, five generations of the workforce, they're the common parlance that we're talking about. But I just love this beautiful idea of, you know, hitting 70, 80, 90 years old. And maybe we're still going to be breakdancing. Maybe, maybe they're still going to be clubbing. Uh, maybe they're going to be flying a plane, whatever. But I just really think it's a beautifully hopeful and positive message that around uh, really being inspired by those that are much, much older and in their later years. And I think linked to this, Maclean also spoke about the fact that isolation is the biggest punishment our nervous system could possibly endure. And it made me, it makes me think back to, or makes me reflect on the number of elderly people, you know, everyone wants, when their spouse or their other half has passed away and they're on their own. What if they're not living next to children or they just go inside themselves because they're, they're missing that other person that makes them whole. Um, so really keeping inspired much later in our lives. Um, maybe also helps with that isolation piece as well. Anyway, there are a few of my reflections. I'd love to hear from you. What's resonated? What would you challenge? And what would you like to add to these conversations? We, you know, we really do value you joining us. And uh, I really hope that you will feel moved to share this podcast via the different social media channels that you may be part of. And as always, we'd really be grateful for any feedback you may be willing to leave on the podcast app, uh, wherever you listen to this podcast. And again, it's Value Through Vulnerability. My name is Gary Turner. You can find me at Gary Turner Zero on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. And you can also find Magdalena at a range of different contact mediums in the show notes. And until next time, episode 90 of this podcast, we look forward to you joining us again and thanks for sparing your time with us.